The show about science is now available on StoryButton, the device that makes it easy for kids to listen to podcasts without using a screen device. StoryButton is a one-stop shop for amazing kids' podcasts that will help your kids grow their brains. StoryButton connects to Wi-Fi so that all of our episodes are automatically available on StoryButton. Click the link below in the show notes to get free shipping or learn more at storybutton.com. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the show about science. This is your host, Nate. And oh, man, you're not going to believe this. I'm recording in space. And there's so much garbage up here. Houston, we have a problem. We need to figure out how to clean up this mess. Hi, John. Hi, Nada. Nice to meet you. You too. So, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I have a PhD in mechanical and aerospace engineering from the University of Buffalo State University, New York. After I graduated, I went to work for NASA. Goddard Space Flight Center, just outside of Washington, D.C., and then I got an offer to come back to my alma mater, so I came back to the University of Buffalo, and I'm currently doing a lot of research in space junk, and we are also building two satellites, one for the Air Force and one for NASA. Okay, so right off the bat, what is space junk? Space junk is anything that isn't useful anymore. So it could be a satellite that doesn't work anymore, or it could be when satellites have collided that causes other pieces of debris, or a piece of debris that collides with another one. There's some interesting space junk up there as well, too. Ed White on Gemini 4 had lost his spare thermal glove. It floated away and actually burned up. It was an astronaut that lost her toolkit that we actually can track. See what else? Oh, spent rocket stages that are still up there. For example, Apollo 12, the third stage of Apollo 12 is still up there that we track. So anything that we don't really use anymore for our active satellites is now considered space junk. I think that the most interesting thing about space junk is probably how fast it's going and that it can just go so fast that a single paint fleck can make a giant hole in, like, the ISS. Bigger than it should. Yeah, you know, that goes all the way back to uh, Newton. 
what Newton did was, when he was thinking about this, it wasn't the apple and the gravity, it was this exact problem. He imagined a cannon at a very high mountain, and then he asked himself, okay, if I fire a cannonball at a certain velocity, it's going to come back down and hit the Earth. But what he asked himself is, what velocity do I have to fire that cannonball so it never hits the Earth again? And the minimum velocity to do that is 17,500 miles per hour. Anything slower is going to come back down to the Earth from the Earth's gravity. So the way you think about objects in space, a lot of people like to say that these objects are floating in space because they see astronauts floating around in space. They're not floating. They're always falling and never hitting the Earth. And the velocity that they're falling at is 17,500 miles per hour. So that's why these objects are going so fast. What happens if space junk leaves orbit? Well, it generally doesn't leave orbit. The, the main issue with space junk is it's traveling at a very fast velocity. So the issue with it is it's in different altitudes. So low Earth orbit is about 100 to 1,000 miles up to very high orbits, which can be like 22,000 miles up. And when you have an object that's traveling 17,500 miles per hour, if, if you have one object that's going around the equator and another one's next to it, that's perfectly fine. So you can think of two cars going along next to each other in the same lane. But a lot of objects are not like that. So you may have one that goes around the equator and then have another one that goes around the poles. And that's an intersection case, like a T-bone crash into cars. So if you have, for example, a piece of debris about the size of a marble, that's in a different orbit than the space station, yes, that can pretty much go right through the space station if it unfortunately hits it in the wrong spot. So it's very dangerous stuff. How does the ISS, International Space Station, survive all of those collisions with the space junk, like, pretty much unscathed? Yes, it does get hit. And it only takes a very small radius hole, about 0.4 inches, before it'll implode. So it's very well protected, though. There's a, I think in 1949, Fred Whipple came up with what's called a Whipple shield to be able to take the impact of these small debris objects. And the space station has over 100 Whipple shields on it to protect it. Uh... It was actually 1947. They actually came up with it well before we launched any satellites. And what is the Whipple Shield, and how does it work? So a Whipple Shield was invented by Fred Whipple in 1947, and it's designed to withstand small debris hits with velocities about 2 to 11 miles per second. So what it does, it consists of a thin outer layer bumper, and it's placed a certain distance off the wall of the satellite. And that bumper actually shocks the incoming particle to cause it to disintegrate. So when it hits the hull, it doesn't penetrate the hull. What's the weirdest thing that you think went into orbit? Uh, the weirdest thing I can think of through orbit? Well, there's some interesting ones in there. So you can actually, Gene Roddenberry did this, the creator of Star Trek. You can actually get buried in space um, in a lipstick-sized capsule. So you can pay to be buried in space. So I think that one's a little weird. Um, back in 2006, a Russian cosmonaut drove a golf ball off the space station as a stunt. Uh, so that's an interesting one. The one that was really interesting is in the old days of the space station, they used to dump the urine 
your pee when you go out and they dump it outside and it automatically crystallized and you can actually see it from the ground. It looked like a little comet appeared in a night sky that people can see. There's a spatula that was washed as well, too. <laughs> I think I liked it. You were in the best. I wish that they still did that. Well, we don't, as I said, we don't want to put stuff up there that's going to stay a long time because some of this stuff might be up there for hundreds of years. Uh, but the golf ball did come back, luckily. It came down to earth? Yes, yes, it came back in. So, um, why should we care about space junk? Well, there's more and more space junk getting created all the time. So, Kessler is a NASA engineer back in the 70s had actually predicted this and... Now it's called the Kessler syndrome. So what Kessler came up is say, okay, these pieces of space junk may hit other satellites or collide with each other and cause more space junk, which actually happened. That was in uh, 2009. And that caused about 500 pieces of space junk. Right now we track about 22,000 objects that are about down to a softball size. And 95% of the stuff that we track is space junk. Now, we're more worried about the stuff that we can't track, the smaller stuff that we can't see from telescopes and radar. And again, those are traveling at very high velocities and maybe worry that someday an astronaut might be in peril because of it. It hasn't happened yet, but it is a possibility. Can we clean up all this space junk? Well, that's a very good question. The answer is we could, but it's going to cost a lot of money. So a lot of people have a lot of ideas on how we're going to clean up space junk. We're certainly going to need to do it someday. So one of them is, for example, you can try to capture it with a net. That's going to be tricky. Yeah, it's very tricky to do it. There's some interesting dynamics to be able to do that. There's a lot of PhDs looking at this problem. But there's another one that they want to harpoon it. I was thinking a vacuum satellite, but... Yes, that's another one. That was actually inspired by a Star Trek episode. The problem is, so you'd say I want to go and take out a piece of junk 10 miles from me and I get in my car and I go pick it up and then I take it to a trash and throw it away. I can't do that in space very easily. To get from one satellite to the next costs me way too much fuel and I'm very limited in the amount of fuel that I have. So all these ideas are nice. But unfortunately, we don't have anything that's feasible at the moment. We don't have enough technology to be able to do this because we're building a satellite to take out another satellite. So that costs a lot of money. So if we do this, then we have to think about the overall cost to take out all these satellites. And right now, it's, it just costs way too much. Should we be worried about going into space with all the space junk flying around? Not yet, but if Kessler syndrome gets worse, the probability of collision, it's going to be a problem, yes. So I, I don't know how many years away we are from that, but eventually we're going to have to worry about it. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed your show. Take care. There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Music on today's episode comes from soundslikeanearful.com and the amazing Breakmaster Cylinder. Our theme music was composed by Jeff, Dan, and Teresa Brooks. Okay, Dad, you can shut the recording off. For the newest episodes of the show about science, download the PIN app or go to pinna.fm slash promo. 
The show about science is now available on Story Button, the device that makes it easy for kids to listen to podcasts without using a screen device. Story Button is a one-stop shop for amazing kids' podcasts that will help your kids grow their brains. Story Button connects to Wi-Fi so that all of our episodes are automatically available on Story Button. Click the link below in the show notes to get free shipping or learn more at storybutton.com. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.